we all struggle with codependency. We live in a codependent society. We're basically fed from day one that love equals codependency. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. That's what it smells like. That's what it tastes like. We're so unhealthily obsessed with hyper-independence, and yet we're also so codependent. Codependency recovery is really identity work. You can't recover from codependency without also going on a journey of discovering who you are and your identity. So much of what we're taught is to base our sense of self on something or someone else. You can't love somebody to your best ability if you can't love you to your best ability. It just doesn't work. Welcome back everyone to Diary of an Empath. Today's guest is Vanessa Bennett. She is a licensed holistic psychotherapist. She's the author of the book, It's Not Me, It's You. And she's a podcast host of the amazing podcast called Cheaper Than Therapy Podcast. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Same. So I started following you a while back. What struck me about your content is your ability to work with couples. And something that I struggled with a lot was uh, codependency and going through these toxic relationships as I was a young adult. But before we get into that, I would love to know a little bit about you, your journey. How did you get to where you're at now? Oh boy. Well, let's see. I this is kind of my second or third or maybe 10th life at this point. Um, I was in advertising for 10 years in New York before moving to Los Angeles, becoming a therapist, kind of going that way. Um, and I, you know, I just felt like I remember at some point in the middle of my career in advertising, just feeling like I was having a lot of fun. I was, I was always on the creative side. So I was a producer and enjoyed the people and the kind of fast paced quality, but I just always felt like I'm not, helping. I'm not giving back, right? I'm I'm more or less really just selling people things so they don't need. And so I it was kind of in that, those moments that I was realizing I wasn't super happy in my career that I was also realizing I wasn't really happy in my life either. And it was funny because I was about 25 and the way that I had an aha moment around that was actually not myself. It was a good friend of mine at the time. We were sitting having coffee and I remember her saying to me, "You just seem so angry all the time." And me being mm -hmm. like, what? What are you talking about? Like complete inability to look in the mirror, right? And so she had started seeing a therapist and gave me her information. And so I, I started to see her. And so I started therapy, started yoga, found meditation kind of all at the exact same time. And it also happened to be about a month or two after I had started a new relationship. And so mm. I would say that like six, the six years that I was in that relationship, um, there was so much change and so much shifting that happened in my own life. Uh, and the best way that I describe it to clients, especially those who are also struggling with like change, like, you know, that transitional period is just to follow breadcrumbs, right? Like you're not supposed to know what it's going to look like. You're just supposed to know in this moment, I'm uncomfortable. What makes me feel alive? Can I lean into what makes me feel alive and see where that takes me? And I kind of just did that for a few years. I just followed that. And uh, by the time that kind of six year of the relationship came around, I, I really had that revelation. Like the, the new me, the person I'm becoming is not going to fit within this relationship anymore. It's just not going to work. So I left my relationship, kind of basically left my job, although I did some freelance for a while, packed some suitcases, got on a plane by myself and, and moved to LA and kind of restarted my whole life. And, um, it was, it was a journey to say the least, and I'm still on it. Right. I mean, how did I become who I am? Who knows? Who the, who the hell knows who I am, right? It changes every day. But 
I think it was through a lot of just being really honest with myself, really leaning into again, kind of what that feeling of aliveness was coming from, which I continue to do now and holding myself accountable, uh, in my relationships, but also in my life to, you know, not, um, not being inauthentic. I mean, I know that's kind of a cliche thing to say, but that feeling of aliveness, I think, comes from that authenticity. So just leaning into that as much as I can. I have a lot of similarities, I think, with you. I went through so many different transitions in my life. And I'm like, how the hell did I even get here? But I had to kind of breadcrumb it as well. I was in the Marine Corps. I went through a really traumatic marriage and relationship and a very abusive situation and had to get out of that. And all of those transitions happened very quickly. And then I got Mm -hmm. into this relationship that I thought I was like so in love for the first time. And he was bipolar. So you can imagine how unstable that was Mm -hmm. and trying to hold on to that. And when that relationship didn't work, I found myself questioning my entire life. I'm like, I am not Mm -hmm. happy with my job. I am not happy with, you know, the, the context of where my relationship was. What do I do from here? And it just felt like everything shifted very quickly. But it's funny. Mm -hmm. because when things started to shift, I don't know how it was for you, but for me, it's like everything and everyone that didn't align with the path that I was supposed to be on just kind of like magically went off. And all of a sudden, when I did start to align with, you know, helping others and and being in service to others, which is what I'm supposed to do, I just started naturally attracting other people that were kind of on that same alignment for me. But I felt the same, very similar to you. I just like had to breadcrumb it because I had no idea where that future was going to lead me. And I'm, I'm still surprised even sometimes where I'm, where I'm at now. I ended up in a lot of situations where I found myself being very codependent mm-hmm. and in toxic situations, especially with that bipolar situation. And I see a lot of my clients that struggle with these codependency issues what would you say if someone is struggling with codependency in their relationships or their relationship that they're currently in and struggling to have boundaries, where do they start with that? How do they identify that? Yeah. I mean, I talk about codependency in a little bit of a different way than a lot of therapists or people in mental health profession do only because I think we just need to set the baseline that we all struggle with codependency. Uh, We live in a codependent society. We're basically fed from day one that love equals codependency. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. That's what it smells like. That's what it tastes like. And this isn't just me romantic. This is friend relationships, work relationships, parental relationships, relationships with our kids. I mean, everything. And so, you know, this whole, like you complete me, this whole not having boundaries, this whole, you're my other half, you know, it's, it's really unhealthy. We, we really are not a society. It's funny because on one hand, especially in the West, right, especially in this country, we're so unhealthily obsessed with hyper-independence, and yet Mm -hmm. we're also so codependent. And I mean, that makes sense because hyper-independence and codependence are really just two sides of the same coin. But we don't even, it's like, it's like asking a fish to see that they're in water, right? So I think step one for a lot of us is to just kind of understand that it's normal, normal air quotes, meaning it's how we were raised, uh, take a little bit of the stigma out of the word codependency. And I I like to do that by just simply explaining to people the way that I see codependency in relationships is really just this. If you're good, I'm good. If you're not good, I'm not good. Right? So my sense of self, my sense of being okay, my sense of aliveness, goodness, worth is all based outside of myself. Right? And so when we can see that that shows up for every one of us in every relationship we have, maybe in different ways and to different degrees, then we can get honest with ourselves about 
the behaviors that actually show up coming from that codependent kind of way of relating. So I look at the the behaviors or how the codependency manifests a little bit different than the actual codependency itself, because I feel like that's more of an umbrella statement, right? And then I teach a lot of courses around codependency. So I would say it's like my laundry list of like codependent behaviors. Let's say there's 20 of them, right? Common. Uh, another really good thing to keep in mind is you're not going to check every box out of every 20 out of all 20, right? And most likely what's going to happen is, you know, in my relationship with like my mom, two, three, and four on that list show up in my romantic relationships, eight and 10 do my relationship with my kids, maybe 12 and 13, right? Different people are going to trigger different responses in us. What's really helpful is to understand your specific behaviors. Like how does it show up for you and how does it show up differently in different relationships? And then from there, you can actually start to work on the behaviors themselves. Um, it's a little bit of like a backing into it process. But ultimately, if I were to say like, what's the one kind of biggest, almost feels a little overwhelming when I say it thing to, to start working with, it's really identity. You know, I always say mm. that codependency recovery is really identity work. And for a lot of us, we have been raised to focus so much on the external right? Again, I mean, it's the society we live in. It's part of capitalism. Like if you don't feel good, buy something, right? Um, mm -hmm. Buy the fancy car, buy the fancy house, have the hot wife or the hot, you know, husband, have the perfect children, have the perfect home. I mean, it's all bullshit, right? None of it makes us happy. Logically, we know that, but it's what we've been fed. And so none of us have really done the work of inner understanding, like who am I? What lights me up? What makes me feel alive, right? Um, all of the other shit stripped down. And so they go, they coincide. Like you can't recover from codependency without also going on a journey of discovering who you are and your identity. So many amazing points because God, man, take me to church with that one. Our society is literally the longer they keep us online, the more money they make, yes. the more that we buy, the more money they make. And so, you know, that is the goal of capitalism. That is the yes. goal of social media. And it takes us away from those relationships, from our own identities. We're constantly looking at other people. How do they look comparing ourselves? You know, one thing for me was going through these relationships I identified a lot with that relationship as a whole. Yes. And I found myself losing who I was or not even knowing who I was. And when that relationship ended, I felt like the pieces were completely on the floor and I didn't even mm -hmm. know how to pick them up because I lost my entire identity in that relationship. Yes. Now going into my 30s at 37, I've been single for a long time when I'm totally okay with that for the first time in my life. But it's because I have such a sense of self I have such a sense of who I am. I know who I am. And I know that when I go into another relationship, I have to make sure that I am purposely keeping mm -hmm. my sense of self and doing things outside of the relationship that fill my cup. And I would love for you to touch a little bit more on how does somebody start to do that? How does someone who maybe has been in toxic relationships, maybe has an anxious attachment style, who hasn't learned how to have their own identity in a relationship, and maybe now they're exploring the dating world. How do they even begin to force themselves or learn how to have an identity separate from the relationship and why is that important? 
Yeah. I mean, I think, so there's a couple of things that have come up when you were speaking. So first off, I want to address a little bit around the attachment style stuff, because I think there is a little bit of a misconception that, um, the anxious attachment and codependency go hand in hand. And as a pretty bona fide avoidant, I would say, and also a bona fide codependent, I would say that it, it, it really kind of spans all of the different variations of how attachment shows up, right? Because we know more now, especially with attachment, it's not fixed. Attachment style even in of itself is more fluid, right? It, it's really in response to the person that we're in relationship with. Um, you know, if I am, if I'm interacting with somebody who's a little bit more anxious, I'm going to skew more avoidant. If they're a little bit more avoidant, I might skew a little bit more anxious. So the only reason I say that is because, and I know you know this, like working with clients, we love as human beings to put things into boxes. Um, we want mm -hmm. things to make sense. And I'm a this and check mark and check mark. And, and it's not that simple, right? So I don't want people to use attachment as a way to say, well, I'm avoidant, so I'm not codependent. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, but, you know, I, I think what you said is really important about yourself, right? So you have done the work or are, continue to do the work around who the hell am I outside of partnership, right? So now if we're just talking about romantic relationships in this in this example, I have to do the work to get really secure in understanding who I am when I am not partnered in order to then not lose that sense of self when I am partnered. Because like I was saying before, so much of what we're taught is to base our sense of self on something or someone else. We're constantly seeking someone else in order to then, quote unquote, complete us, right? I don't know who I am until I'm in relationships. So it becomes really easy to, quote unquote, lose yourself when you get into relationships mm -hmm. if you didn't know who the hell that self was before you even got into a relationship, right? So, yep. and also, you know, I mean, this is a whole kind of other conversation that we may or may not go into, but. We also have to look at the way, you know, living and breathing under this patriarchal structure has us really obsessed with the idea that we are less than if we are not partnered, right? Mm -hmm. So again, I am less human. I am less valuable if I am not in a committed partnership in some sense, right? Which again is bullshit, keeps us searching, keeps us lonely, keeps us anxious, keeps us all of these things, right? So a lot of times with my clients, especially people who come to me who are not partnered, but you can still do this already in partnership. A lot of it, again, it's breadcrumbs. It's that feeling of aliveness. Now, some might say to me, I don't even know what the hell that feeling is, right? I don't even know how to get in touch with that. And we might have to kind of back it up and start with some mindfulness work, right? So really starting with the kind of uh, bricks, the foundational bricks of pausing, getting in touch with your internal system, getting in touch with your body, what's your body telling you, right? So I would say adopting a mindfulness practice because it's a muscle and it has to be built. You're not just going to go to the gym once and leave with perfect abs. You have to actually work at it, right? So I would say that's kind of a step one always. Bottom line, mindfulness has to be a part of everything we do on this journey. And then we can start with some kind of I don't know, simple might not be the right word, but like simple exercises around some very uh, blanket emotions that we're all really familiar with. Okay. So I might not know when I'm angry, when I'm offended, when I'm upset, when I'm happy. A lot of people who struggle with codependency aren't super familiar with that, but I'll bet you that you know when you're in resentment right? Every one of us knows what resentment feels like. And so for my clients, a lot of times in the beginning, I will say, let's use resentment as a tool. I want you for the next, let's say week or two or a month to turn up the awareness dial on resentment 
and pay attention to every single time it creeps up, right? And it doesn't have to be like massive, overwhelming resentment. It can be like the tiniest little twinge of it. But a lot of times what I say is resentment is usually your codependency being activated. There's something going Mm -hmm. on. You're not putting words to something. You're brushing something under the rug. You're saying yes when you want to say no, right? Go back to that behavior list again. Which behaviors are you doing, right? That we can pause. And in that kind of mindful pause, we can go, ooh, okay, there's that feeling. What is that? What's going on? What can I take accountability for? which I want to emphasize because resentment is about you. It's not about the other person. Resentment's yours. So you have to sit with yourself and say, what do I need to do? Where can I own this resentment that's coming up? And then every time you actually do the opposite, so you do the thing. So let's say it's because you're not speaking up. And in that moment, you're like, oh shit, I'm resentful because I swept something under the rug and I didn't speak up. And you do the thing. You do the thing that is so hard that in the moment it literally feels like you want to rip your skin off, right? You're laying a brick on the foundation of self. It might not feel like it in the moment, but those individual micro moments where you do the thing, whatever your thing is, that is a brick. That brick is being laid into that foundation of this is who I am. I'm starting to know myself, trust myself, understand myself. And now when I am partnered, I'm going to have that sense of self. And if it starts to slip, which it might, I'm going to have the tools to go back and start to reset again, start to go back to that foundation again. And so these become tools that we can access basically for the rest of our lives. Yeah. I got so comfortable with my own peace that anyone or anything that threatens that peace, I can't handle. Like it's, I'm so protective of it. And I was the opposite before I was leaning into it. I was the one that was like, when's he going to call? When's he going to text? But now if there's any red flag, any yellow flag, anything that threatens my sense of identity, like, nope, you got to go. Here's one question that I have for you, though. If there's someone who's in a relationship currently and they're struggling with maybe their partner, I don't know if I want to use the word pulling away, but maybe their partner Mm -hmm. has a very strong sense of identity. Mm -hmm. Their partner is okay with doing things on their own, whether it's a man or a woman. How does that person who's currently in the relationship maybe is working on those codependency behaviors, how do they allow their partner to have that sense of identity and how do they work on themselves with not only allowing that to happen, but also working on their shit? Because I feel like mm-hmm. when you're in a relationship, it's a lot harder to work on those things as opposed to when you're single, there's no distractions, you're yep. able to work on it. But when you have that partner who pulls away, what do you do? You all know that I stand by the recommendations that I give. I only give recommendations for products that are ethical and that are going to add value to my audience and something that I personally use. I would never recommend anything that I feel would not be beneficial. I've been using a product from Athletic Greens called AG1 for about two years now, and I recently partnered with them. I use AG1 in the morning, and it's part of my morning routine, and it makes me feel healthy. It makes me feel like I'm ready to go when I'm doing that because I love that I'm nourishing my body. Another thing that I love about AG1 is that it's one product. I don't have to take multiple supplements because before I was taking a bunch and I would forget and I wasn't on top of the things that I was taking. I would miss a few days here and there. So I love that everything is in one product. So if you want to take ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. Go to www.athleticgreens.com empath. That's www.athleticgreens.com 
slash empath. You will only get the free vitamin D one year supply and the travel packs by clicking on that link. If you go to their website and order on your own, you're not going to get those free gifts. So make sure you use the link. If you order it, please let me know if you like it, if it's working for you. It's something that I'm going to continue using because your health is your foundation. If you don't take care of your health, everything else will crumble above it. So I'm putting my health as a priority and I want you to do the same as well. Side note, did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a professional tarot reader? It's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a tool to connect with your guides and your higher self to help you in certain areas of your life. Tarot genuinely changed my life and it can potentially change yours too. Click on the link in this podcast for more info. Okay, back to the podcast. So first and foremost, I want to slow down and I want to put a pin in the word allow. A lot of times, not a lot of times, every time, this is another part of the culture that we live in. We have a very transactional, very ownership template of relationships. We are partnered. And so that means you owe me X, Y, and Z. That means that you don't get to now do or no longer get to do X, Y, and Z. I am owed this. These are my expectations. Y'all, that's bullshit. We don't own Mm. anybody. If we are actually, truly trying to heal codependency and move towards a more interdependent way of relating to each other, that means you are a sovereign being. I am a sovereign being. We come together to build on each other, to make each other's lives better and more fulfilled. We do not come together to change each other or to own each other because you're not mine to own. And the second I start thinking that I get to allow you or not allow you to do anything, I'm in codependency. And here's the thing. In the beginning, that might feel really exciting. We love, it's like there's there's something like um, fiery about like jealousy and control. And like, you know, we get a little bit addicted to that drama. Uh, But ultimately, that control puts us into a very parental dynamic in our relationships, which I see constantly in my clients. And guess what? We are hardwired to not want to have sex with our offspring or our parents, right? Mm -hmm. So you can either want to be the parent or the child of your partner, or you can want to have sex with your partner long-term. You can't have both. Okay. So we really have to start changing this ownership template of how we look at relationships. If you are anxious because your partner is going out and living their life and doing their thing, that's on you. You need to sit with, what does that mean to me? Why do I feel so threatened by my partner having their own sense of identity and own sense of self? What is that bringing up for me? It's not about them, right? Does it make me feel like, I don't matter. Where is that historical in my life? Does it make me feel like they're going to leave me or I'm going to be abandoned? Where is that historical in my life? Right? Because all of these feelings that come up in these, especially the romantic relationships, 99.9% of them can be traced back to something in the past, right? Whether that's Mm -hmm. familial, whether that's past romantic relationships, even friend relationships, it is really on us to sit with something uncomfortable is happening for me. I need to pause, go inward and figure out what that is. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't express to my partner, you know, hey, when you go out, I'm just going to make this up. When you go out with your friends and you're gone for six hours and I text you and you don't respond, um, you know, it just makes me feel really uncomfortable. It makes me feel like uh, I don't matter, right? I'm allowed to express that to them 
but I really need to check my expectation that they need to do something in response, that I am owed something back from them, right? Now, I get to decide, do I want to be in partnership with somebody who's going to disappear for 48 hours and not respond to me or not? That's on me. But I don't get to tell somebody else, this is how you have to love me, right? I get to decide if it's what I want to participate in, but I don't get to tell somebody else how to act or not act. That's codependency. Oh, I love that because we can tell people, this is my boundary, but they don't have to respect that boundary. They can do what they want, but it's up to you to uphold the boundary. What do you do with that? You know, like for me, if I'm, I know that I want a partner that is going to be very communicative with me. I want someone who's really good at communication and just can, you know, simply give me a text, give me a phone call. And I know that if somebody can't meet that, That's not to say that they have to because I am not their owner. I'm not going to force them to do something that they're not willing to do. And if that's the case, I know that that's not the person for me and that's okay. But that's only because I got to the point where I'm so secure with who I am and what I want that now going into a relationship, I know what those things are. And Mm -hmm. before... I wasn't able to do that because I didn't know what my boundaries were. I didn't have a, a, a sense of self, a sense of identity. So those boundaries, even though I didn't know what they were, they were constantly crossed. But I was like, you have to do this. You have to do this. How can you treat me this way? If you loved me, you wouldn't do that. If you loved me, you would do X, Y, and Z. And I was walked all over. And I found myself having a difficult time, especially when I had my daughter, self-regulating my yes. emotions. That was so hard for me. I yes. saw a post that I thought was so so interesting. And you talked about self-regulation and you said, I I believe you said when a man walks away to self-regulate, a woman is left with the responsibility of not only self-regulating herself, but also the kids. I thought that was really fascinating. I would love for you to touch on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that this isn't even just in, you know, heteronormative relationships. I would say this is any dynamic. Um, but I do, I do see a lot of, Okay. How do I explain this post? So that post that I put up was actually something that I was doing in a live workshop, right? And I was, it's probably easier if I explain the actual example, because I think a lot, the reason why that post blew up so much clearly is because it struck a, it struck a nerve, right? It struck a chord. Mm -hmm. So what was going on is he had started doing his inner work, right? Um, And he was really working on it, which was great. But what he was doing, and I think we do this a lot in social media, he was taking kind of bits and bobs from what he was hearing out there, and then he was applying them, and he was kind of regurgitating this this language back to his partner, right? So right before I said that in that clip, he had said to me, yeah, but aren't you guys, meaning therapists, aren't you guys always saying that it's our job to regulate ourselves first? And I said, yes, and, (laughs) right? So when you're in a dynamic like this, and if your pattern in relationships is to piece the fuck out, right, is to be like, I'm out of here. So let's say you're somebody who, like me, runs a little bit more avoidant. You're going to kind of use that as ammunition or as a reason to bounce, right? And that is not okay. So I know for me, sure, if I gave in to every whim that I had as an avoidant, the second any kind of conflict came up, I'd be like, peace, I'm out of here, right? Mm -hmm. But I know that that's not the quote unquote healthy way to be in a relationship if I want to maintain a secure attachment. And so what I need to do is hold myself accountable again and say, okay, I'm looking at my partner. I'm feeling really flooded right now. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. I need a minute to self-regulate. Is that okay? Are you good right now, right? Now, doesn't mean I can't still take it if they're like, no, I'm not good, because I might be like, well, too bad. I'm flooded. I need a minute. 
But I think what gets sticky and why this one blew up so much is because now we have kids in the mix, right? And a lot of times what we see is that primary parent, and if, listen, I'm generalizing, but if we're talking heteronormatively here, a lot of times that's the mother, right? The mother is also triggered. The mother is also activated, right? There's a fight going on. There's something that's happened. So he, in that moment, gets to peace out to regulate himself and he leaves. And now she's there activated with one, two, five kids, whatever it is. In this instance, it was two who don't have the tools yet to self-regulate. And if they're in the room, most likely they're activated too, because they feed off of our nervous systems. So now I'm sitting there going, not only do I have to regulate me, but I have to regulate them too, because you've left. So you've left Mm -hmm. me with the responsibility to also regulate them. And what I had said to him in that moment was, that's not fair. And after a while, as the partner, I would be like, why do I have you here? Like, what is the point? Mm -hmm. What am I getting from this relationship? Because you're dumping a lot of this on me. Now, that's not to say that, again, he doesn't have a right to self-regulate. But once you have children, and you know this, you're a mom, as am I. Once you bring kids into the mix, you don't get to just peace out. That's not how it works, right? Your tools need to include how do I regulate and I'm going to use this word actually a little bit of compartmentalize in this moment to make sure that everyone's good. Like we're all talking through this, we're calming down um, so that nobody feels abandoned in that moment. Right. Or Mm -hmm. if I'm hella overwhelmed, I actually might even say to my kids, depending on how old they are, daddy, mommy, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. I'm going to go in the other room for 10 minutes. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to read a book and then I'm going to come in and we're going to talk about this. Right but I don't just get to leave. And I think that is part of what really struck a chord with that one, because I think it's happening a lot. I've had a lot of women reach out to me and say, this is what I deal with. Um, and so I think, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I hope that answered your question, but boy, that one was a very interesting post. I didn't think it would get the response that it did, but oh boy, it did. <laughs> I think it resonates with a lot of people that yeah. that was my marriage. That was yeah. literally my marriage. Every time we would get into an argument and we were both in the Marine Corps. So trust me, you know, we, it happened often. He would chuck deuces. He would either lock himself mm. in a room, total avoidant, you know, leave the house. And I was stuck regulating my own emotions and regulating my daughters who was only yeah. like one, two at the time. And so to me, I resonated so much with that video. I had a problem even after that situation, going into another relationship, regulating my emotions, especially mm-hmm. as I, I was more of an anxious. Um, I still, I would consider myself now more secure with some anxious tendencies from time to time, but definitely more secure now. But at the time, I could not regulate my emotions. I mean, I was just so overwhelmed and I'm such an empath. So there were so many things going on. So for somebody who is going through, you know, relationships and they get very overwhelmed or maybe they're having a difficult time regulating their emotions or their nervous system is getting activated, what are some tips and tools that someone can use to start that regulation and start recognizing what's happening in their body? Yeah. So if we are in a moment of, okay, so there's a couple things. So one, we have to understand a little bit of the science I think is helpful to understand. So when you're in a place of dysregulation, we've got to understand that our thinking brain is not working, right? Like we know this, the prefrontal cortex is dark. It's offline. It's not thinking. That prefrontal cortex is what's responsible for logic. It's what's responsible for empathy, compassion, right? Reasoning, all of these things. When that goes dark, when it goes dark is when it gets flooded by emotions, we go into more of our limbic system, right? Which is really responsible for survival. It's fight or flight. And it's also where a lot of the emotions are stored. And so I'm not thinking from a thinking place. I'm thinking from a logic or from an emotional place, excuse me. And so 
I say that not to give somebody like an excuse, but to give you a little bit of maybe a reason for grace, right? I said this thing, I acted in this way based on the fact that I was overwhelmed. I didn't take a break maybe when I should have taken a break and I spun out and then I acted out of that place, right? So I can own it, but I can also give myself a little bit of grace and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry I said X, Y, and Z or I did X, Y, and Z. I, was, I wasn't okay. I wasn't in a good space, right? What I'm going to try to do next time is catch myself maybe before I get to that place so that I can still respond from my thinking place instead of responding from my overwhelmed space. So I think that's a really good kind of starting place. Now, a lot of what I do with my mindfulness work, and this is from um, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, is, is training around how do I expand my range of resilience, right? So for a lot of us starting out, especially people who do tend to have a little bit more of an anxious, you know, leaning tendency, um, I, I'm going to bust out of my range of resilience pretty quickly. It's not going to take very much to make me feel dysregulated. And once I feel dysregulated, forget about it, Right boom, logic goes dark. So it, it's time, it's a process, but through continual mindful practices of what's going on in my body, what's happening for me when that person says that or does that or doesn't or doesn't, right? And I continue to bring that mirror back to myself and I say, what's happening? Oh, I feel tightness. I feel anxiety. I feel fluttering. I feel heat. I feel, right? And then name the emotion. I feel anger. I feel confusion. I feel fear, right? When I get better at that, what I'm going to slowly do is I'm going to start to expand my range so that let's say, you know, three things used to have to happen and I'd be completely out of my, my range of resilience. Now maybe it's five and that's great because now we're able to say, Ooh, okay. I'm at a three. I'm at a five. I'm at an eight. Let's say 10 is my bust out point. I'm at an eight. I got to take a break, right? That doesn't matter if you're anxious or avoidant. It's really important for us to start to understand ourselves so I can say, okay, I know myself well enough to know now that if I keep going at this, something's shifting. I'm not going to be my, my best self. I need to soothe myself. I need to walk away and take care of me. And then, then what do we do, right? I mean, that, that becomes a toolbox that we have to fill with what works for us. Not everything's going to work for everybody. So I know for me, for example, I'll, I'll give a very specific example. Because I tend to be on the more avoidant side, um, I get very flooded with conflict, okay? Um, any whiff of conflict to me starts to kind of start this brain chatter of like, I am bad. I am bad. I'm not, gr I'm not good enough. This relationship's ending. Why am I even in this relationship? Like, I, basically, I want to bail, right? I want to run. That's what mm -hmm. happens with avoidance. We want to run away for self-protection. It's not that we don't care. It's not that we don't love you. We're trying to self-protect, right? Mm -hmm. And so- now, over years of doing this work, I can sense those feelings pretty quickly. It doesn't mean they don't come, and it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that thought process doesn't still happen. But now, instead of being in it, I'm watching it. And when I'm watching it happen, I have some tools that I do to keep myself present online, not physically running away. So I like to keep myself in my body. I will do things like kind of like pinch my leg under the table. Like if I'm sitting there talking to my partner, I'm like digging my nails or pinching the bottoms of my legs. And I do that and I bring my awareness to that because I want to stay in my body. I don't want to dissociate and leave, right? I notice the heat. I notice the tension. I pay attention to what's going on for me. All of these little things are tools that I've picked up and kind of honed over the years and they work for me. So we're each going to have to figure out what that thing is to soothe in the moment and then also soothe when you're alone um, to help you bring yourself back down to a regulated state.
that was a really long answer, but I hope that gave some nuggets. No, I, I love that. It's it's like to me, it's it's very somatic, and you know, a lot of people tend to disassociate, especially when emotions are super super high. And I think totally. having and setting the intention of okay, I'm gonna have the intention right now of trying to see what I'm feeling, what's going on in my body, when have I reached my limit? I haven't gotten into an argument. I, I can't remember the last time I was in conflict with someone. So like the thought of even having a conflict scares the shit out of me. And I almost mm-hmm. wonder if I used to be anxious and I'm like, I almost see some avoidant tendencies now because sure. I'm like, yep, nope, I'm out. So these are really great tips for me. So for somebody who's in a relationship and maybe they're starting to like navigate and they're listening to you like, okay, I really want to start having these conversations with my partner. Mm-hmm. How or when does somebody sit down with their partner? How can they communicate these needs or explain like, hey, when when these things are happening, these are this is what I'm feeling. I want us to work better in the relationship. I noticed that you do X, Y, and Z, or you dip out when we get into an argument. How does somebody do that without the partner getting defensive? Because I feel like sometimes when you automatically want to have that conversation yeah. and say, I feel like this when you do this, the defenses go up. Right. So we can't control other people's responses, right? The only thing we can control is ourselves. So with the best intentions, we can go into a conversation, of course, hoping that somebody won't get defensive, but we have zero control over that. So we have to sit with that reality first, right? First and foremost. Now, I would say that in those situations, I would approach a conversation kind of like this. I've been doing a lot of kind of inner work, I've been really trying to sit with myself. I've been trying to understand some of my bad habits, some of my bad behaviors and relationships. I want to really understand why when we get into, let's say, this specific argument or this fight, I respond in this way, right? So I'm trying to get to the root of it. Here's some things that I've discovered about myself. Can I share them with you, right? So for example, uh, when it feels like there's going to be conflict, and, and conflict might even sound like too big of a word. I'll tell you for me, again, this is more of an avoidant thing. It doesn't even have to be, some people might be like, that's not conflict at all. It might be like somebody giving me negative feedback. To me, that feels like conflict. To me, that feels like you're telling me I'm a horrible person and I want to run away from that. So hear me when I say that avoidance a lot of times respond to all things negative as if somebody's about to like, annihilate them. Right. So mm-hmm. I might say to somebody, um, every time we have any kind of conversation that starts with like, Hey, I want to talk to you about something or like you've done this thing that's hurt my feelings. I realize I shut down. I realize where I go is I'm bad. I'm wrong. I'm not good enough for you. Right now. I know that that's not true. That's the story I'm telling myself, but I want to share this with you. Cause I think it's important that you know where I go, right? Like what's going on for me in those moments that I then respond by leaving leaving the room, locking myself in the bedroom, right? Yelling and walking out. Here's what I'm going to do. And I would love if you could support me in this. Moving forward, when I start to feel overwhelmed, I'm going to let you know I'm feeling flooded and I need a break. Or moving forward, when you want to talk to me about something, I'd really appreciate it if you said to me, um, hey, I want to have a conversation with you. Is tonight at 5 p.m. a good time? Right? Maybe that's your thing. Maybe maybe you like to um, schedule your conversations. Some people do. Notice how in that example conversation, I have never once actually said, I need you to do this. When you do this, this happens. And this is how you need to fix your part in this. What I need to do in those conversations and say, here's what I've noticed about myself. Here's how I respond. Sure, I could say when you do this, this is how I react and I respond. But it's all about ownership. It's all about self-responsibility. This is what I'm going to do. It's keeping my side of the street clean. 
right? You then, my hope in this partnership, because we're in this together, are going to take that and go, wow, just really like try to figure out how to make this dynamic better. I wonder if there's some things that I can own. I wonder if there's some stuff in these dynamics that I can actually say, huh, yeah, and you know what? When she does that, I do this. And I don't really like that I do this. So the hope is that I'm inviting you into conversation. I'm inviting you to also look in the mirror, but I can't force you to look in the mirror. You're either going to want to or you're not. And if you don't want to, if you're partnered with somebody who digs their heels in and says, cool, I'm glad that you're fixing yourself, but I'm fucking perfect and I'm not going to change anything. (laughs) That's information for you. And then you get to do with that information what you will. But what you can't do is change somebody. What you can't do is control somebody. The harder you try, the more frustrating you're going to be, right? So ultimately, period, it just comes back to how can I look at myself, right? What can I own? What's my 100%? I feel like I'm getting to the point where I've been married before. I don't know if I want to get into another marriage. And I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) I hear this I love the idea of being with someone. I am a monogamous person. I am naturally monogamous. I want the intimacy. I want my life partner. I don't specifically want to stay in the same room with someone because I want my space and I want my Mm -hmm. sleep. I never thought I would say that ever. But I don't know if I legally want to get married to someone because I want the option of being able to leave if this is no longer working for for both of us. And I want us to know that if we're together, we're choosing to be together. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's weird or not. Have you heard, you said that you've heard that before. What are your thoughts behind that? I think we need to throw out the word weird. Who says, who says that there's one way to relationship and why is that? Who benefits from all of us thinking that there's one way to relationship and anything outside of that one way is wrong, bad, different, or weird, right? Who says we're in a time where finally in, in, I guess, certain communities, it's starting to become more acceptable to truly just be yourself. If you are two adults, three adults, five adults, I don't care. As long as you're consenting and y'all are on board with whatever kind of relationship you are creating, mazel, do you, right? Who am I to say that that is weird or less healthy than anywhere? Again, as long as we've got consenting adults that are all on the same page about it, I don't think that's weird at all. I think you get to decide what you want your life to look like. And I don't think anybody any individual, any um, organization, any, you know, government gets to tell you it's either this way or no way. Why? Well, who says? You're not my parent. Why do you get to tell me what's right and wrong, right? I have discussed with my partner that this feels what's, this feels aligned for us. Okay. So you do that. I would love nothing more than to have separate bedrooms than my partner. <laughs> Let me tell you. I want you. that. <laughs> I want my he'll sleep. Act- <laughs> he'll actually jokingly say, you would love nothing more than to have two houses. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, where's the lie? I'm not even going to lie about that. You're totally right. (laughs) Sounds like a fucking dream. (laughs) And and I'm like, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't make me wrong. It doesn't make me bad. It makes me who I am. It makes me me. Um, And if here's the last thing I'll say on that is I also think that we really need to start um, questioning, challenging, throwing out this idea that we have that longevity is somehow what makes things good, bad, successful, not successful. Okay. It's not about longevity. It's about fulfillment. 
It's about, can I be myself? It's about, am I growing? Am I changing? Am I evolving? Am I in, am I in true alignment in this partnership, right? I would so much rather celebrate somebody who come, comes to me three years into a relationship and says, hey, we're getting a divorce, but we're both on the same page. We're, we're friends. We're amazing co-parents. I'm going to be like, hell yeah, congratulations. Mm-hmm. I'm actually not so keen on congratulating somebody who says, my God, my grandparents have been married for 50 years when I find out that they hate each other and they've barely spoken for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm not congratulating that. That's bullshit. Why am I congratulating that? Longevity? So what? Are you fulfilled? Are you happy? Are you... I, I, I think we need to get out of this. Again, this is this ownership template. It's like, we yes. got to get out of these old ways of looking at relationships. If we like as a species, as a society really want to evolve, um, I think it's time to let go of some of these old blueprints. Yeah. I want the wedding, but I don't know if I want the legal documents that go with the wedding. Girl, <laughs> do I you want have a party, have a party. Nobody <laughs> yeah, needs to have legal I, documents. I, exactly. And I feel like there's this, 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 left versus right of people are throwing in the towel too early. People are giving up and I'm like, well, yeah, but it was toxic or the person cheated and, you know, or, you know, why should I have to stay in a relationship that doesn't serve my highest good? And I think that there's like this, this left, like non-monogamy. And then there's like people on the right that are like, no, you should stay married and you should do this. But for me, like I came from a past of toxic relationships and I recognize that. And when I started to heal and grow, that is when I started to be like, oh shit, I had to recognize my own patterns, my own choices that I was making Mm -hmm. in this, in these relationships, even though, yes, it wasn't my fault that some of these things were happening. It wasn't my fault that someone cheated or that someone was abusive, but I still had a part in that because I chose mm-hmm. to kept to keep choosing those same types of partners. So for someone that's going through these cycles of toxic relationships, and now maybe they're in a healthy relationship for the first time, how does somebody recognize those patterns from a toxic relationship or on the other flip side of the coin, how do they make sure that they're not continuing to choose the same types of partners so they don't keep continue to end up in a toxic relationship? Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think there's any like, you know, magic wand to this. I wish there was, but I think that if we start to look at all of the relationships in our lives as learning opportunities, right. And that doesn't just apply to romantic. I mean, that could apply to any chosen, actually even not, not chosen relationship, even family, right. If we start to look at relationships as places for growth, places for change, places for evolution and expansion, we can really start to own, okay, what did I learn in that relationship? Not to say, oh, I, I, my picker is broken, which I've heard so many times, right? Or not to say like, oh, well, that person was a narcissist because nowadays everybody's a narcissist. Everyone's a narcissist. <laughs> Everyone, right? It's less about that and it's more about saying, what did I learn? Good, bad, ugly, beautiful. Like, what is that? What, how did I grow? How did, what did I learn about myself? Right. And I think some of those tools go back to what we've been talking about. It's about like, what is this bringing up for me? When this person acts in this way or says these things, like I feel something in my body. I'm responding to that in some way. Can I sit with that? Can I, can I sit with that and not try to make it go away? Right. So make it go away by people pleasing, make it go away by taking a drink, make it go away by scrolling social media. We have a we have a laundry list of ways that we like to numb and hide, right? Can I sit with that feeling? and go, oh, what is that? And then can I say, where else have I felt that? When else have I felt that? What was going on in those moments, right? And if we continue to do that, I like to say it's like you're an anthropologist to your life. It's like, just start noticing. 
just start becoming aware of patterns, becoming aware of historical things in your life that have felt similar or look similar. When you get curious, which by the way, you can't be in a state of defensiveness when you're in a state of curiosity, they can't coexist. So if I'm in a state of true curiosity, I'm not going to defend against like, well, it was their fault. They did X, Y, and Z. Because if I'm truly curious, I'm not going to be in that place. I'm going to say, yeah, but what's my part, right? What is that? What, what is that pattern? And so it's just continuing these. It feels like small things in the moment. People want like a quick fix. It's not a quick fix. Mm -hmm. You just got to keep coming back to what's going on for me and what feels historical about this, right? Um, and sometimes, look, I mean, you might need that third party. You might need to work with a therapist or a coach for them to be able to say, hey, here's something that I'm seeing that you're not seeing, right? Because sometimes it's hard to see ourselves truly. And also our friends aren't our therapists for a reason because they love us. They want the best for us. And it's hard for them not to see through their own rose colored glasses. Right. But it's once we start doing that work, I think that I have, I have found people start choosing different. They start breaking those habits. Um, and it might not happen right away, you know, but, but it, it, over time, I, I think we all have that, that potential to kind of choose what we actually do want, choose what actually fulfills us versus just continuing to repeat those patterns over and over again. Yeah, I think 10 times out of 10, the red flags are always there, you know, even if they're oh, very small. Yeah. But I think like, yeah, people who are super compassionate, like myself, especially very highly empathic, highly sensitive, I think we tend to see the good or we tend to look mm -hmm. at people in a very idealistic view of, well, I see the potential. I see they, they, could, they could reach here and they fall in love with the potential of the person, not who yeah. they're seeing right now, not right. how they're being treated right now. And we stay in situations way longer than we should. And for yes. me, when I started to recognize those patterns, I had to get comfortable with walking away and feeling discomfort and sadness in order to have mm -hmm. long-term happiness. Mm -hmm. And that sucks because people don't want to feel discomfort. They don't want to feel the loneliness. They don't want to feel the sadness that comes, especially the anxious attachers who get attached very quickly. And then you add sex into the mix, oxytocin and serotonin and all of those things that are like these bonding hormones that are happening when you're being intimate with someone. So I always tell people too, that if you know that you tend to be a little bit on the more anxious attachment side that you tend to get a little bit more attached when sex is involved, wait. And there's nothing wrong with being intimate with someone. But if you know that, that this is how you are, wait, try to get to know somebody. Now, there are times when people are super manipulative. You just can't always predict it. But you have to get comfortable with walking away early on if you know that this is not going to be a good fit for you. And that was the hardest thing that I had to really get comfortable with myself and creating that boundary with me to say that I will walk away, but it saved myself a lot of heartache and potential disappointments and potential yep. da danger zones. Yep. Um, my self-care had to be number one. So for people yep. who are in relationships, who maybe are struggling with self-care, with putting themselves first, what would your advice to them be? Where do they start and how do they start to implement that self-care of truly putting themselves number one? And what happens when they're a mom and they feel guilty for doing those things? What would you say to them? Yeah. I mean, especially for the moms out there, um, martyrdom does not equal mother motherhood. It's not the same. And we have made them synonymous in our culture. Um, you're not doing anybody any favors by allowing yourself to be depleted and burnt out and pissed off and unhappy. As a matter of fact, you're actually hurting your kids more than you're helping your kids because you're teaching them the template of how their lives should look. And so if you want your children to always put themselves last and you want your children to martyr themselves in their relationships, then by all means, keep doing what you're doing. But my gut is telling me you probably don't want that for your children. So 
this idea of putting ourselves first, so many of us have been kind of indoctrinated into this idea that somehow caring about myself is selfish. And again, Mm -hmm. who does that benefit? Like who benefits from the idea that us choosing us and putting ourselves first is selfish, right? Like, let's think about that. You know, having boundaries is somehow selfish. Okay, well, who in our family most likely growing up benefited from there being no boundaries, right? We got to get really clear about this stuff. And then again, no one benefits. No one benefits from you being pissed off. You, of course, don't benefit, but none of your loved ones benefit. No one benefits from resentment, right? Because if I'm on the receiving end of resentment, I don't want that shit. Take that shit back. Mm-hmm. Like, do your work. Like, by God. Like, if that means you got to go out and do your thing two days a week and I'm going to be home by myself, but if that means you're not resentful and pissed off, please go out two days a week and do that thing, right? Yes. Don't martyr yourself. Like, no one wins, right? Again, it's like these, these unhealthy kind of uh, blueprints we have for relationships, especially women, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, again, within the patriarchy, like these are the kind of templates we've been given for what it means to be a mother and be a partner and be all these things. And it's like, who benefits? Most of us in our partnerships are miserable. You know, we're all teaching our kids to be codependent. I'm looking at all these relationships going, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not buying into this, right? I know that there are ways for us all to say, I love me a lot. And in order to love you as best as I can, I have to love me as best as I can. That actually has to come first. Because if I don't love me as best as I can, I'm actually not capable of loving you the best that I can. I might be capable of loving you in a way that is actually a little bit more about me. I might be capable of loving you in a way that um, you know makes you feel like you, my needs are your problem right? Um, like somehow, uh, like these martyrs, right? Like I, I know this because I'm a mother and I've, I have a mother. It's like, I do all of this for you. Oh, I do all of this for you. And this is how I'm treated, right? And so when we look at the stuff that we're passing down, I think sometimes, especially for moms, if I say to a mom, it's about how you want your children to be raised and how you want them to be in their lives. It's like a wake up call where they're like, oh shit, I need to start paying attention to me and myself. If that's really what it means. Hey, listen, if you got to do it because you know it's better for your kids, then that let that be the, the catalyst. I'm fine with that. Um, but you can't love somebody to your best ability if you can't love you to your best ability. It just doesn't work. Wonderfully said. So, so true. And I think too, you know, you, you start off with a full cup and every day mm-hmm. when you're pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, if you don't have anything left for yourself, that's, you're going to start feeling drained. You're going to start feeling yep. resentment. You're going to start feeling overwhelmed. So self-care, totally. whatever that means for you, doesn't mean you have to get a massage every week, even though that's great. Mm-hmm. Self-care can look like your morning routine, 15 minutes of, you know, no one coming into your energy as soon as you open your eyes, whatever that looks like for you. And and if you have to wake up 15 minutes earlier, that might be what you have to do. I'm yeah. trying to do that myself. Um, if you could give any advice to people who are listening, who want to have healthier relationships, I mean, we've touched on so many things that you can implement. But if you thought about one or two things, even looking back into you know your past, what advice would you give for those that are listening? Oh man, one piece of advice. I mean, I, I, I really want to go back to this idea of what's my hundred percent, right? I think in every situation, in every dynamic, we have to be able to say what's my hundred percent. I think a lot of us run around pointing fingers. A lot of us really don't like to own our part and true change and true evolution, whether it's on your own journey or whether it's in your dynamics with your kids or your partners or whoever cannot happen 
if you can't sit in the fire of this is my shit, this is what I need to own, um, and sit with that discomfort, right? And so I think starting there, starting with what's my 100%, and this isn't to like beat yourself up. It's not about bashing yourself. It's about saying I'm human, right? And these come from somewhere, but I need to own that. And, and that's the only thing that I've got control over, right, is me and myself. So I would say start there. I love that. Your um, platform, you do a lot of, I see that you have these lives and these seminars. Where are those located? And if somebody wanted to join one of the seminars or get more information or more education on the work that you do with couples, the work that you do with codependency, where could they find you and where should they start with that? Yeah. So we actually, um, we're in beta right now for a new community that we just launched. My, my partner, my girlfriend and I, um, who does my podcast with me, and we're going to be doing all kinds of seminars and workshops on this stuff. So, uh, you can find my Instagram, Vanessa S Bennett, or my website, vanessabennett.com. Everything's going to be up there listed there. I've got another, I do a couple retreats a year. So I've got one coming up in June in Costa Rica. Also in my, my bio link and my Instagram, if you want to check that out. Um, there's lots of ways I try to connect in person with people as much as well in person, I guess, zoom too, <laughs> as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Cause I really think we got to get like off social media and get like back to this in person. And I, I believe truly, even as a therapist who does individual work full time through community is really where a lot of this change is going to actually happen. And so I'm a big proponent of group work, um, and doing this work kind of in support, you know, with, with support, I guess, from community. And her seminars are good, you guys, because I've seen she posts a lot of clips from her live seminars and they are on point. And it's, it is the reason why I invited Vanessa on the mm -hmm. podcast because of those clips that I saw. I'm like, wow, this is really good, like legit. So if you guys are interested, I'm going to link everything in the show notes so you guys can contact Vanessa or at least at the very least follow her content so you can learn more. Vanessa, thank you so much for your nuggets of wisdom, your time, your energy. I've learned so much. I know I'm going to come back and listen to the episode episode, but you're just doing phenomenal work. So I just thank you so much from the bottom of my heart and my gratitude to you for coming on the show. Thank you. We need more healers. So keep doing you too. I really appreciate it. Yes. You.